0: welcome to dismantle racism with the reverend doctor tlc where our goal is to uncover dismantle and eradicate racism and to create a world where racial equity is the norm of course i am your host the reverend doctor tlc and today we are going to be talking about to be real living as a black and gay man and so As always, I'm going to invite us before we start the show today, excuse me, um, to just breathe, to take a moment, to settle ourselves, to breathe, to be in tune with who we are. And because we are talking about authenticity today, I think it is relevant that we breathe in these words. So breathe in, I am loved. And breathe out, I am divinely created. Just take a moment to sit with that and breathe in again, I am loved unconditionally. And breathe out, divinely created. Just sit with that for a moment, knowing that you are bathed in extreme love and that you have a divine purpose, that you're in the right place at the right time. So take a deep breath in again and breathe in. I am loved unconditionally and just breathe out divinely created. And just take a big deep breath and receive all of that. I am so excited today that we are really going to be talking about what it means to live as our authentic selves, to be enveloped in this identity that we have, and how we navigate that in the world. Audre Lorde said, If I didn't define myself, I would be crunched into other people's fantasies. And for me, eaten alive. I think about those words, crunched into other people's fantasies for her and for me and for you, and what a horrible feeling that would be, to have to live as the world believes that we should live. And every day we walk around, sometimes living as a shell of ourselves, because we are trying Desperately to fit someone else's idea of us or expectations of us. And as a person of color, it is often harder because we're walking around not only with someone else's expectations of us as it relates to family or friends and loved ones, but sometimes with, when the world has an expectation of us of who we should be as a person of color, it adds an additional weight. So today, I'm so delighted to bring um, not only a colleague on, but a friend who has been dear to me since high school, actually. And so we've grown together in a large part of our lives as friends, but even professionally. And we've been able to talk on both levels about how do we show up in this world as educated, Knowledgeable, skillful people of color who happen to just both navigate uh, a world of whiteness in our religious realms as well. And so we talk about it from that perspective, but we also talk about it from the day to day lived experience. And so I'd like to bring uh, on today my, my beloved friend and dear colleague, the Reverend Carlton. E. Smith, and he has a great deal to say not only about living authentically as a Black man, but as living as a gay man as well. There are a whole bunch of subjects we could cover today, and we'll probably only scratch the surface, particularly because we have both walked this realm again in the religious world, and there's lots to say around being gay and, and, and having a religious path as well. Um, but also just in terms of navigating the systems that we do. So the Reverend Carlton E. Smith is the regional lead for the Pacific Western Region from 2013 to 2020. He was a member of the UUA Congregational Life Staff Group, and he served in the Southern Region. There is a great deal that I could say to you about the Reverend Carlton E. Smith, but I will allow his story to share the story that he shares today to tell you more about him because he's also been a political candidate running for the U.S. Congress, for state Senate uh, in his home state of Mississippi. And he's also been the, uh, one of the founding members of the Organizing Collective for Black Lives of Unitarian Universalists. He currently serves on the board uh, for the members, for the, he's a board member for the Living Legacy Project, and he's also a member of the campaign board for the LGBTQ Victory Fund. But that's only scratches the surface of his life. So I want to welcome, welcome, welcome today, my dear friend, the Reverend
1: Carlton E. Smith. How are you doing? I'm doing good, Dr. TLC. How are you today? Thank you for having me on and congratulations on your show. I know it takes a lot to put such a thing together, having done so a time or two myself.
0: Yes, it does. But I'm so (laughs) delighted and it's made easier when I have wonderful guests like you who are on and who we can just really engage in this dynamic conversation. Oh, yeah. Uh, And so I'm just so very excited today. But one of the first things I want to start with today is, is I always like to understand where people are coming from, from a spiritual perspective and what helps to keep you grounded day by day, particularly um, in this work of dismantling racism in this work that we have to deal with uh, just in life in general, because we all have issues that we have to deal with. And so I believe that being grounded in the sacred is something that helps us navigate the world. But your journey with the sacred and your journey with religion has been um i I think a lot could be said in terms of what you've had to experience so talk to me a little bit about your journey with the sacred and then how it helps you to live authentically in the world
1: thank you um so i would begin by saying that i think whatever our impressions are are of the divine and of God are derived from our experiences. I speak for myself. Mine was derived from my experience of my parents uh, and my home life. And I'm happy and grateful to say that there was never a point in my childhood nor in my adulthood where I had the experience of being estranged from my parents. Um, My mother and father uh, met and married at uh, the historically uh, Black college in our town, Holly Springs, Mississippi, Mississippi. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and uh, they, you know, were able to sustain that marriage over, you know, 43 years until my dad's passing in uh, 2001. Um, So I would say I had that experience of love from very early on. And I don't take that for granted as I've, uh, you know, gone out, you know, into the rest of my life, because I know a lot of people don't have uh, loving memories of, you know, one or both of their parents. Um, So I'm very grateful for that. So that grounds me. Um, I grew up in the United Methodist Church, uh, which is a predominantly white denomination, uh, but uh, after the Civil War, th- uh, there were several uh, black, historically black colleges that were started by the United Methodist Church as well as black congregations, and I grew up in a black congregation in, a, in an overwhelmingly white denomination. Um, and I would say the teachings of Jesus um, and the stories of Jesus and Jesus's example uh, were foundational for me from a very early on. Age as well, uh, coming from the United Methodist perspective, there wasn't a lot of talk about uh, hellfire and damnation. Uh, really, none at all. Uh, it was really more about representing, you know, that spirit of love and generosity and kindness and justice in the world. And so that's kind of that. That was the type of religion that I was um, raised on. And from day to day. Um, it, it looks like my uh, faith walk and what keeps me grounded looks like a spirit of um, abundance um, generosity of gratitude gratitude is a huge part of that because i can just you know look at my life and you know for, even for the things that aren't going the way that i might like them to be going there's still you know so much to be grateful for and i keep returning to that and in terms of the racial work um what i keep coming back to is is that um there's an. There's the illusion of race uh, that we live inside of, and I uh, maintain a commitment not to be distracted by the illusion uh, and to instead remind myself that we we do this sort of process of dividing and <clears throat> conquering and, and splitting each other off from one another, but there's a unity that is underneath um, all of that that connects well, us, not just...
0: So I want to just jump in there because I love this idea that you're saying about this illusion of race, because one of the things that I try often, particularly when I'm working with people in my congregation, or even when I'm coaching people, just to say, we are more than the bodies that we are housed in. We are spiritual beings. And if we're spiritual beings, then we can begin to see the shared humanity that we have with one another, and we don't have to feed into the systems that seek to conquer and divide. However, having said that, that doesn't mean that we don't have things in reality that we have to deal with, right? Because there are experiences of racism that we have that we must deal with and we must be aware of what those things are. And we must seek to eradicate those things as well. And so um, I definitely appreciate you having this higher level of consciousness is how I like to think about it when we think about, Think about God, source, universe, whatever people choose to call it. It's a higher level of operating to be able to not um, say that I am what the world thinks that I am or believes me to be. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit more about that as we go on in in our time together. But uh, we're going to have to take a break in just a few minutes. But when we come back, I would like to just, if we could, talk a little bit about your journey as um, a black gay man in the church and what some of those struggles might have been. Because while you've grown up in a Methodist tradition, certainly you're Unitarian right now. How did you get to that place of being a Unitarian? So if you could share a little bit about that, because I think growing up in a black church has its own, we, we could do a whole show about that. And at some point we will. So whether we're in a white denomination or not, there is this thing that out there in the world, we call the black church, right? And, um and there are expectations that come with that as well. And so when we return from our break, I would love for us to get into that a little bit, your journey. And so this is uh dismantle racism with the Reverend Dr. TLC. We'll be right back with our guest, Reverend Carlton Smith. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at
2: www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness?
0: Welcome back. Today's guest is the Reverend Carlton E. Smith. Before the break, uh, we were talking about living authentically, and we were talking about your experiences with growing up in in church, but also to land you where you are now as a Unitarian Universalist. When you grew up as a Methodist, I know that you've been Pentecostal, and uh, you've had a range of experiences. So Tell us a little bit about those experiences and maybe some of the challenges of living authentically, particularly around your early experiences, particularly around living authentically as a gay man.
1: So... Um, as it turns out, from a very young age, I was one of those children who was identified as different or maybe not conforming to whatever the the abstract understanding of masculinity was, even as a child. So um, there was never a point uh, from really as far back as I can remember where I wasn't somehow identified as other and specifically, you know, the terms that would be used at that time when we were coming up in the, you know, late 60s, early 70s and into the 80s would have been like punk, sissy, um, funny, you know, like these are all terms that were used at the time to sort of distinguish um, that identity uh, and that was uh, difficult because I just never felt like I quite you know fit in or was quite included in certain, in many of the reindeer games that were being played. Um, uh, and I knew, and I and I was interested in things that people weren't you know that interested uh, in. Uh, so that so I was a very bookish you know and very you know into a comic into the comic books and things like that. I would have been a nerd, I guess, <laughs> by certain descriptions. Uh, very much into you know choir and drama and you know those sorts of activities. Some of those that we shared. Don't bring uh, up the
0: don't bring up the the whole drama.
1: You know, it's, it's like we, we have had some good times. Talk. We have to, And yeah, one of our one perfect. of our <laughs> one of our colleagues went on to become a famous actress. That's Kathy uh, Davis Patton, who right. works with Tyler Perry. So we can that's we can right. you know right. but acknowledge a that.
0: A lot, a lot came out of that. Yes, it
1: did. Um, so. Uh, it wasn't until I was away from Mississippi and in Washington, D.C. for the summer working uh, for the first time. This would have been the summer of 1984 that uh, and I was like 19 at the time that I had my first uh, encounter uh, with a man of an intimate nature. Um, and um, I'm really uh, grateful that uh, by that time, it's not... <clears throat> Because there was just all of this rumor and speculation that had been going on all of my life anyway, there wasn't really anything to lose. I mean, so I might as well have gotten like whatever benefit there was of uh, holding that identity uh, by you know by exploring it, Um, and there wasn't really like any backlash around that. But you know, this was um, this was just before uh, the uh, AIDS pandemic uh, began to sweep. And so there was there was a lot of tension at this time, you know, because there was still sort of like, even though things weren't so uh, hardcore on the on the Methodist side of my family from the Pentecostal side, it was just a lot more uh, hellfire, you know, damnation sort of approach Mm -hmm. to things. Um, And I joined a Pentecostal church shortly after I graduated from Howard, and that had some of that same sort of language as well. Uh, I had a health crisis that, you know, drew me deeper into the church, um, which uh, led to my becoming more involved and then sort of like a spiritual crisis that followed that, uh, that just drew me deeper in and sort of like renouncing um, the, you know, my sexuality and not really owning that and putting that very much in the past, ended up in seminary. But but,
0: but Carlton, I just want to jump in too, because even as I'm thinking about this, the, the, the other issue, even just thinking about church and the ways in which church ruins people, uh, which is another one of my passions, mm-hmm. I can remember the church actually saying to you, it's okay if you're that way, but just don't show it in in church. And that's a whole nother thing by saying, it, it, and, they, and they were a little bit more specific in some of the things that they said in my memory. What was upsetting though, is that, they're basically saying, don't be authentically you, because that's what we're talking about in terms of being authentically who we are. Now, I want to say something as it relates to being authentically who we are. I really mean just living the identities that we happen to be placed in at this moment, because my identity is far more than the color of my skin, my gender, my sexuality, or any of that. So I wanna be very clear today that when we're talking about that, again, I see us as spiritual beings that happen to be just housed in these bodies. And and so I wanna be very clear to share that. But I think that when you were engaged in, in an experience where they're saying, okay, if you are gay, just don't show it in church. That's really saying don't live authentically as the person that you are, right? And so for you, um, what was the process or what was that moment that you said, you know what? I have to be me and made a decision to, to perhaps switch to something where you felt like you could live more authentically.
1: Yeah, so it was a combination of things that were going that were going on at the time that I came to that point. I was in seminary and I went to Howard University School of Divinity. Um you go bison. Uh you're also a Howard grad.
0: Yes, I am.
1: <laughs> and um uh, what I remember is is that at the School of Divinity, the dean, a uh, very wise man, Dean Lawrence Jones, uh, who's deceased now, um, decided, it was determined to have a seminary where there was a whole spectrum of Christianity that was represented. So we had, you know, Baptist, Methodist, Quaker, you know, um, Catholic, you know, all these, all different kinds of uh, instructors who were there, as well as uh, across the spectrum of, um, theologies as well. So some of them were very conservative and some of them were very liberal, you know, especially the younger professors who were there, who I sort of naturally fell in with. So that became, you know, my uh, kind of alternative community while I was in seminary. Um, and created the context in which I was able to encounter people who were able to reconcile uh, sexualities that were other than heterosexual and that standard with you know their understanding. So it's like if they were able to do it, then I could, might be able to be able to do it as well and find communities where I belonged. Um, and I broke from the church that I was with at the point that I uh was you know just starting to become recognized as a minister in that um, denomination. Uh, and there was a sermon that was given on a Sunday that was very uh, anti unwed mother, that was very anti uh, gay, uh, LGBTQ. And so, uh, and all the other ministers were standing up and applauding and egging the minister who was preaching on. And it's like, I couldn't do that. I just had to remain in my seat. And I knew in that moment that that was going to be my last uh, Sunday uh, at that. Congreg- at that congregation that's what uh, i turned uh, i my- want
0: to just pause for a second yep. because I think it's important for our listeners to really understand that to live authentically is you have to be able to reconcile who you are and your values with the ways in which you are showing up in the world and so if you are involved whether it be religious institutions or at work or as if you are a leader in particular and you're being asked to do things that are not in alignment with your values, I think it might be time for you to take a step back and say, am I living truly as I am? So I appreciate you saying that that was a very vivid experience for me as you're telling it. Um, I'm just sort of picturing this and picturing what it must have been like for you to say no more. And I think that if we're going to encourage people to live authentically, the lessons would be, So look and see if it's in in alignment, but um, continue with what you were saying though about some other things that were shift for you in that moment.
1: Yeah, um, and the other thing that I would say too, in in terms of like living uh, living authentically, um, even before I was uh, invited to be on the rostrum with the other ministers, I remember the experience of going in on Sundays And knowing there was going to be something that was going to be said that wasn't going to agree with my spirit, especially in this case, something that was going to be anti-LGBTQ. And it was kind of like waiting for the fiery darts of the the enemy, you know, to come in, you know, someone was going to say something, someone's going to, you know, do, do some sort of attack. And so I would say that those are things to check in with as well. I mean, when you... When some, when I, you know, in this case, had those experiences uh, of not being grounded, of feeling, of um, uh, kind of like constantly, sort of like waiting to see, like where the next, you know, kind of attack was going to come from. So I'd say that that's something that people need to pay attention to as well. Mm-hmm. It's like they're just their sense of safety um, exactly. and being out Exactly. For.
0: But do you know? But do you realize how many people live in the world? Uh, Feeling unsafe when they are living inauthentically, but Mm. choosing, in many cases, choosing to stay in those situations because they put up these barriers for why they can't challenge the status quo or why they can't leave. And it was no small thing that you decided that you were going to leave this congregation, which in some ways, despite the wounding that was occurring, it, it still was a congregation that in many ways um, helped you during some critical times in your life. So it wasn't in, just an either or, it was a both and, and you had to make some decisions to say, I have to step out of this. And the other thing that I think that was really important that you said for our listening audience to just grab hold of is that I found a community a community that supported me, a community with whom I could identify with, and often what whatever our identities are, there are other people out there who, who fit the, the same uh, identity that we do, and we need to find support, but not just support, any old support, we need to find the right support, support mm-hmm. that would be healthy for us to engage in, and so I loved hearing you talk about Dean Jones and and people who I know uh, from the Div school that you were connected with who were able to provide you what you needed in that moment. So to live authentically would also mean us understanding that we're not alone. Whatever our identity is, we're absolutely not alone. And there are people who support us. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to take a quick break again, and we're going to come back in just a few minutes because I'd like to spend some time, you know, hearing about living as well as a Black man and, and interweaving that with the work that you are doing now, even in your your church so um as a unitarian universalist and even in the political world which we'll get into because in order for us to dismantle racism we have to uh see our stories and other people's stories sometimes and just draw strength from some of the things that other people have experienced and can give us insight and wisdom on we will be right back with our guest today the reverend carlton e smith
2: You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower. Hey, everybody, it's Tommy D., the Nonprofit Sector Connector, coming at you from my attic.
0: And welcome back to Dismantle Racism with the Reverend Dr. TLC. My guest today is Reverend Carlton E. Smith. Before the break, we were talking about your experiences as a gay man and particularly as it related to just your spiritual growth and evolution and religion. But tell me a little bit about some of your experiences as a black man, just living in these United States. And I'm sure that you've had other experiences and you've traveled the world as a black man, but let's just talk about some of those experiences in the United States, because I remember some of the things that happened to you very early on when we were both students at, at Howard University. So can you share a little bit about some of those?
1: Sure. Uh, one of the things that I remember uh, earliest on was when I was in uh, grade school, um, and we would go out to the nearby state park, Waldoxie State Park, uh, for like a field trip, and um, you know we would encounter like other children, and it was, it was and I was going to like a Catholic uh, based uh, school that was overwhelmingly black uh, at the time Uh, and we would encounter like other children and I must have been like in the fourth, third, fourth grade at the time, and uh, we encountered a group of younger, like white children, and one of the little white kids wasn't able to push themselves in the swing. And so I, you know, being who I was, uh, said, well, let me just help this kid, you know, and so I started pushing the kid, and all of a sudden, like his friends, who were like probably, I don't know, five or six years old, started to chant, Bobby touched an N-word, Bobby touched an N-word, <laughs> and I just, you know, I it, it just had never, you know, like even occurred to to me, that you know that that would be something that would happen, um, and I think there were ways in which we were sheltered. I, I speak for myself that I was sheltered, you know, by my parents from some of the uh, some of those attacks. Uh, I remember as a child, uh, you know, going into the into the uh, five and dime store. Ben Franklin was the name of it. It was right on the town square, and being followed around. <clears throat> me and my, you know, uh, black male friends as children and going to the counter at different places and having the chains dropped into my hand from, you know, like a well, sadly, all of these. Of that little... still happens. Right. I mean,
2: right.
1: You know, you're, you're, yeah, but right. Um, so, yeah. So those were sort of like foundational that, you know, just sort to, to be seen as a problem as, or as potential criminal, you know, is, is just from, from the very beginning. So I, so those are some of the early remembrances, um, and, you know, in, and since that time, uh, you know, I've been, you know, followed by the police and, um, uh, there was one occasion where I was leaving a choir rehearsal, uh, from the church that I was attending in Washington, DC and, um, uh, just waiting at the bus stop, you no know, no one night, no big thing. And, you know, slowly, you know, this police car is pulling up and then all of a sudden the light is on splash is shining on me. And there's a, a police officer with a gun, you know, get your hands up in the air, you mrf uh, is what he shouts at me. And all of a sudden, I'm surrounded by police. They're going through my pockets, you know, and uh, come to find out they're looking for someone in a black jacket and wearing bl- blue jeans, who's supposed to have a, some sort of concealed weapon uh, in on this uh, major thoroughfare in D.C., a uh, black neighborhood. Very black neighborhood at the time. I don't know about now. <laughs> so, so much.
0: Longer, It has changed dramatically. <laughs> I was just there.
1: Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. So we could talk. So that's a whole, that's
0: a whole nother show that as is well, right? Show. gentrification is a whole, whole entirely different show. But
1: go ahead. Yeah. So um, and and there's been other occasions, you know, as I've you know moved from state to state, where I've so, been so just, profiled.
0: I want to pause yeah.
1: there for a second because
0: I think that oftentimes when people uh, see you and I, for instance, and the worlds that we move in and out of, and they see us as accomplished individuals, they'll think, well, those sorts of things don't happen to you. Because I've heard repeatedly when Black men in particular, uh, because they there's more conversation about the Black men, I feel like, who were shot. And there is some conversation about black women, but because by and large, there's so many black men that are shot by police or brutalized by police. I will often hear people say, well, why didn't they just do what they were told to do? Now, you're standing at a bus stop, minding your own business. And what happens? Right. All of a sudden, you are surrounded by police officers. Now, I happen to know that that is pretty regular that this happens to black men. I traveled with uh, a couple of friends of mine to Jamaica uh, shortly after college, maybe two or three years after, after college, we traveled to Jamaica and uh, well, actually, I guess it was more than two or three years, time flies, but nevertheless, there was a point where one of my friends who I traveled with was being stopped repeatedly by police officers in Jamaica. He happened to be a black man and he had uh, locks. And I also was traveling with a white male friend. They never, ever stopped the white male, but they always stopped the black man. And at one point I started speaking up and and this black man said to me, Terrolyn, be quiet. I'm used to this. It happens all the time to me in DC. And how sad is that? That he's just so used to it that it's just become a part of his daily experience. And he told me after the reason why he told me to be quiet was because he said, here, they don't care anything about you being a woman. They'll lock you up just as quickly as they'll lock me up. And I don't need that to happen to you. So not only did he have to think about being a Black man and recognizing that this happens to him all the time. Now he's thinking about what are the ways am I going to protect you? And all of this in a split second. So when we talk about living authentically, it doesn't mean that we don't deal with the realities of how the world sees and treats us, but we still can live authentically in who we are. So the reason why I want to pause on that is because you said that you pushed the little kid in the swing because that's your nature. And what I know about you is that despite some of these experiences that have happened to you as a Black man, you still show up as the loving, compassionate human being that you are. And I just think that is wonderful. I think that for you, as you said earlier, is that Uh, Well, you know, we've talked about living at this higher level of consciousness and seeing people for who they are. So even though you're surrounded by many people who don't look like you now, you are in a denomination where people don't look like you now. Those experiences that you've had with other white folks. Do not keep you from being who you are. What can you say about that? I have my thoughts about it. And I've just shared them. Anything you'd like to add about your experiences as a black man that, um, that either informs <laughs> your interaction today with folks who look differently than you, or, uh, that you've just decided I have placed them in nub in this little box over here, and I'm going to keep moving.
1: Um, so, as you know, I was a uh, part of the clergy counter protest at Charlottesville at the Unite the Right rally in August of two thousand and seventeen uh, alongside dr cornell west and uh, the president of my uh, so the Unitarian Universalist Association, uh, Reverend Susan Frederick Gray, um, And uh, that was a very uh, frightening experience in a lot of ways, and before we set foot out on the street, we were led by uh, Reverend Osegye Fuseku, uh, who was the leader of our group, a tremendous singer and activist himself. Uh, he reminded us you know time and again that as we were stepping out onto that street they were doing this there was this big protest against the potential removal of a confederate monument in charlottesville and uh, white nationalists and supremacists from all over the country had converged on Charlottesville for that weekend, um, and he reminded us is if we stepped outside of the church, we could be severely injured, up to and including death. And we we went out anyways. The crowd, the, the, the number of participants thinned out like a lot from where it was. The more he said that, and he said it several times, um, and we ended up like you know right in the thick of you know that uh, action. And they were chanting things like "You will not replace us," or and, "And Jews will not replace us." You know these sort of chants. And in that moment, it, what occurred to me is like these people are terrified. They are really—they uh, really don't know how they're going to live in a world where um, they can't control everything or feel like they can't control everything and can't call all the shots. And so there is a or under uh, the illusion, under right. the illusion that they're controlling everything, right? right right not realizing that uh just even that idea you know enslavement enslaves both the person who's enslaved as well as the enslaver right. you're stuck in a cycle you're that's, so that's not it's not freedom to be to be able to uh, make these sort of life and death calls on other people's lives either. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's like one of the things that informs, uh, the work that I do as well. It's just an awareness that there's, there's suffering, you know, happening on that side too. Does that mean that we don't, we don't protest it and we're not, that I I don't press protest and I'm not opposed to it. I I am, I I do protest and I am opposed. Yeah.
0: Yes, you 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 are indeed that. And 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 what's really interesting is is because often when I'm teaching uh, my programs on dismantling racism, I do try to invite people to see the other side. Doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. And what I find interesting in when I talked about being under the illusion that they're controlling things is because many of the people who were out there chanting those things to you are not even the people who are in power. And so then there's this whole power dynamic where people get you to believe that you are are, are losing out on something because these other people want a part of the abundance that's out there in the world. And those people, some of those who are in power, they don't really care about you. They just care about them being in control and being in power and you're serving their purposes correct Mm -hmm. and so when we talk about this idea of race and racism that the truth of the matter is is that 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 people have segregated us and they've placed us in these caste systems and so uh it, it becomes about more in a way than just race but but because we're here to talk about dismantle dismantling racism that's what we're going to stick with we do have to take another uh, quick break and we will return in just a moment with our guest the reverend carlton e smith
2: you're listening to talk radio nyc uplift educate empower
0: We are back with my guest today, the Reverend Carlton Smith. And in our last few moments together, there's so much that we could talk about, but I don't want to close out today without talking about your bid for U.S. Uh, Congress for the State Senate. And I want to talk about that from the standpoint again of even living authentically in the realm of politics, because um, it it is such a trying, trying, trying um, process to run for office. And so uh, I think it's important for us to just tap into that a little bit. So what can you tell us about what you learned about showing up as a Black Gay man in the state of Mississippi, running for state
1: senate. Mm. Um, so I had two runs. Uh, the first time I ran for Congress, uh, this was uh, 2000, coming into 2018, and then the following year for state senate here in Mississippi, representing the county I live in and a neighboring county. Um, and in terms of living authentically, it was tricky because at the point that I put my name in for um, for Congress or I, I, you know, filed all my papers and whatnot, I had not yet figured out what to do about owning my uh, identity as gay. And, um, <clears throat> and you know, there were opportunities when I would be talking with um you know, a reporter where I could have come out with it, but it didn't seem like quite the right time or not, you know, quite uh, under control in the way that I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be on my own terms. <clears throat> and, you know, I think that was one of the reasons that campaign was unsuccessful. I missed an important uh, deadline uh, leading up to actually getting onto the ballot. And so that, so that campaign kind of <clears throat> really fell apart at that point. Um, so what that did what for me was create an opportunity to figure out, like, well, so what what if I do want to, you know, be more uh, more of an owner, not like it was anything that I was hiding. Um, so in the fall of 2018, uh, when it came around to be uh, uh, National Coming Out Day, I wrote a piece for our local hometown newspaper, The South Reporter, On you know owning that identity and what that meant for me, you know, as a religious person, as a black person, and et cetera, so forth, and so that uh, was grounding for me and opened up the possibility for my running with a greater degree of integrity and authenticity for state senate the next year.
0: Mm Hmm. I love it. I love that that you're saying what what it did was opened you up, and so for our listening audience, the moment that we step into the fullness of who we are, great things happen. And we can do more, as a matter of fact, even if we think about the conversation in the last segment with the work that you were doing in the march. And I, for one, want to thank you, my dear friend, as I have before for, for being engaged in the work. It's it's like saying, well, I know who I am authentically. I can accept how, how um, the world sees me. I can accept that they see me that way that doesn 't mean that that 's who I am. I know what my experiences will be, and with that, I can continue to do the work that i 'm called to do so whether it 's in your congregation where you continue to form like a, a black um, uh, a black lives matter organization to 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 some extent within. Your—that's the best way I can kind of describe it. I I don't think that's the exact name in the organization, but but you're saying that I'm still going to live authentically even within this denomination, right? Now there are some things that we face in the denomination that eh, we might do a little bit differently, but hey, so what? We 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 obviously love the denominations we've been. We've been in them forever, (laughs) Um, and so but you're saying I can still show up, and I can still show up and be an activist. But I also can show up and be a political force as well. And I think that that's tremendous in a place like Mississippi, where we know that it has not always been easy to live as a Black person and then as a Black gay man in a small town and to run for office. And so I wonder, did you receive, I know that there were some great things that came out of that. But do you feel like you received any backlash being, uh, I'd say more of a gay man than being a Black man? Because in that particular area, there seems to be quite a number of Black people who are running for office.
1: Did you receive any? Um n- um not so much to my face I'll tell you an interesting thing that you know for some of the people that I you know were ca- encountered as part of my campaign you know, I would later find find out that there was like uh a uh, begrudging uh aspect uh to their participation such that you know for people that I you know had trusted before there was sort of this thing like well I should have never worked with you in the first place if they didn't get you know what they were wanting or what they expected so uh, even for the people that I counted as my allies in my campaign or supporters during my campaign, it's like not all of them were really on my side. They were there, you know, for more what they could get out of the campaign than, you know, than what what they wanted to put in. I want to say like a little thing about authenticity, even around a, a Mississippi identity. Um, you know, as you know, we get the, the state of Mississippi, our home state gets a lot of, um Yes, <laughs> a shade, you know, from other parts of the country. Yes, And I was
0: very conscious when I said coming from a place in Mississippi because I'm like, I don't want to stir the I don't want to feed into that stereotype because obviously lots of wonderful things and people. Well,
1: this people. is the thing. I mean, and when I went to Howard, you know, as as you know, uh, Kamala Harris was one of my classmates and she was from California uh, and there were there was a good number of students from California there. Um, and I, you know, wanted to be from California too. So I introduced myself to, to a group one time and said, oh, hey, I'm from California too. And they said, oh, really? What, from, from what part? And it's like, I didn't have like an answer to that. So I felt like a big old fake. Um, but right. I just wanted to say around that, uh, I got to the point. It's like, I, I, I own my Mississippi identity now very proudly. I mean, if whatever, you know, people, things people say negatively about Mississippi, Mississippi gave you Oprah Winfrey and Mississippi gave you Ida B. Wells. Mississippi gave you Fannie Lou Hamer who turned the Democratic Party upside down so it's like I take great pride in being from Mississippi And like they say if you're in Robin, social justice, Robin
0: Roberts I mean Robin you Roberts go,
1: you can go, go down on the on and, you on, can and on
0: yes Carlson Smith Carolyn you know there are wonderful wonderful things and and I appreciate you saying that because the other thing Carlton, if we're going to talk about even just dismantling racism is really being able to speak the truth about it because the one thing is I would say particularly as adults we probably experienced more as it relates to racism and microaggressions since leaving Mississippi than we did in Mississippi because I, I guess truthfully in Mississippi we knew where we stood with people I knew I wasn't going to anybody's house for dinner who didn't look like me wasn't going to go and you know, hang out with them at their pool or do anything like that, but here in um, in the north, you might do those things, and people still have their own um, unconscious biases towards us. Well, Reverend Carlton E. Smith, it has been such a delight to have you with me today, and I do hope that we'll come back, uh, you will come back again, because there's much more that we could talk about and really dig into around our religion and racism, which I hope to have a whole series of that. I thank you for sharing your experience and hope that it will indeed be a blessing to people uh, who are listening to show up authentically as your true self, and to know that there are ways in which you can be supported when you choose to become fully who you are. Yes, there are some consequences to it, but it actually broadens your mind and your idea and your concept of who you are and what you're able to do and to accomplish. So thank you again. Reverend Smith for being here. I thank each and every one of you for joining us. And we're gonna close out today with Reverend Smith just offering us a blessing for the day.
1: Well, thank you again, Dr. TLC. I appreciate you so much. You've been such a faithful uh, friend over really all of my life, uh, pretty much, except for the first uh, 13 years or so. Uh, I'm so grateful for you and your presence and this work that you're doing, and I wish you all kinds of success as you continue to go forward in your very wonderful public ministry. And so as far as a blessing goes to close this out, I wanna offer these words from my colleague, uh, Wayne Arneson, who's another Unitarian Universalist minister, and they go like this, take courage, friends. The way is often hard, the path is never clear, and the stakes are very high. Take courage, for deep down there is another truth. You are not alone. Mm. Be encouraged.
0: Thank you so much for that blessing. I do pray to all the listeners that you will be encouraged and that you indeed will live your authentic self. Bye for now. Talk Radio NYC at
2: www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting twenty-four hours a day. Hey, everybody! It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector, coming at you from my attic. Each week here on TalkRadio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy in Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here on TalkRadio.nyc. Hi, I am Joseph Franklin McElroy, host of the new podcast, Wise Content, gigs Wealth.